Hello, welcome to another episode of Hope with Danny, a podcast dedicated to inspire listeners everywhere with weekly stories and personal testimonies from our wide range of guests. I'm your host, Danny Daniel, and thank you for listening. We're really fortunate today because we're going to be talking to a good friend of mine from South Georgia. That's kind of taking North Georgia and putting it down in South Georgia the best way we can. But uh, I've known Ed Perry ever since we, my wife and I got married down there, and he's a close friend of mine, and we've got a lot in common, believe it or not. Ed, you there with us? I'm here, Danny. How's everything going with you up in the north end of the state? Yeah, well, it's just going great. If we can ever connect the north with the south of the state, we've done something, hadn't we? <laughs> That's right. You know what? We might be able to do that one day. <laughs> we'll try. Well, I want to mention on the front end of this uh, little talk that uh, Ed has decided to get back into politics, and he was a great politician, but he was a great statesman. Uh, when he was a senator before in the state legislature, and he's going to run again this year, and by golly, he's going to win. Uh, we're looking forward yeah. to that campaign. Well, yeah, I appreciate it, Dan. Uh, Ed's got a story to tell us, and what we're looking for with all of our guests is to provide a hope story for the listeners, uh, something that, that will be an incentive for them to be inspired with the words that we have with our guests, and Ed's going to be able to do that this uh, this session I do want to mention that uh, uh, I met Ed about 45 years ago, I guess, when my wife Mandy and I got married. Uh, she is from Nashville, Georgia. Ed is from Nashville, Georgia. If you never heard of it, it's that little town between Valdosta and Tifton. Uh, and it's a on-target on town for what they want to do farming-wise and otherwise. And I just believe that uh, you're going to get some hope out of this story. Uh, Ed? Get a start. Yeah, I'm ready to go. All Man, right. I appreciate, I appreciate the opportunity to be here, and uh, I really want to try to carry the people uh, back uh, in memory's eye to, to the years and the times that we grew up in a great America, which is still great, but we got to keep it great. The year was 1958. I was 12 years old, and I was going on 13. It was the last Sunday of September at the church, and the church, we had the awards day and the announcement for graduation in the Sunday school class. Well, me and several others were, came before the front of the church to get our four-year perfect attendance Sunday school pin and graduated in our Sunday school class up to the, the, t the teenager school class, and that was a big accomplishment. After that, it came time for the announcements, and the first announcement was that we were going to have dinner on the ground the first Sunday in December, and everybody was excited about that. So then the preacher called on Ms. Barino. Ms. Barino was an English teacher, and she is also head of the woman's auxiliary. Now, the ladies in the woman's auxiliary were from ages from 32 to 42, and of course, they all sang in the choir, and taught the Sunday school classes and looked after the, the kindergarten kids in the nursery. And she said, what I'm here to do, I need to get somebody to take charge of a committee to get playground equipment on the Sunday school class for, for the kindergarten. And she looked at the day men section of the church, which is the front few pews. She was standing in the middle. 
and there was total silence. Nobody volunteered to help out. So then the preacher said, well, wait, there's a hand in the back. So she turned around and looked, and she saw the hand, and she says, yes, please stand. And the gentleman stood up, and there was a silence in the church. Everybody in the church knew who this guy was. They knew him. His name was Lester. He had a quiet demeanor about him, and he was a man of few words. He was old, old beyond his years. His hair was white. His face was wrinkled and ruddy. He had been a tall man, but he was humpbacked now and bent like he had long carried too much weight on his shoulders for too long a time. He had on a Sunday school coat like I did, but underneath it he had bilbo overalls and a bolo tie. The clasp on the bolo tie was a medallion. It said U.S. Marine Corps, and it had a Marine Corps hymnal on it. And he spoke. He said, I'll take on the project and see that we get the playground equipment, and I'll have it ready for the homecoming Sunday, first Sunday in December, when we have dinner on the ground. Well, again, there was a great silence. Well, my grandmama that I was sitting by, which often spoke, Several times in the church stood up and said, oh, I'll help Lester. I'll raise the money. I'm ahead of the senior ladies' Bible study class. We can bake some cakes and we'll raise the money. And then we will have a good playground. Look, Well, that Wednesday night, being a Boy Scout, I saw Lester at the, at the Boy Scout meeting. He was talking with the scout leader. And then the scout leader turned to all the Boy Scouts and said, All right, boys, come to an attention. I got good news for you. Some of you are interested in becoming an Eagle Scout, and some of you are trying to advance in rank, and you got to earn merit badges to do such a thing. So you have an opportunity here to earn three merit badges, one in woodcraft, one in engineering, and one in community service. So I volunteered along with eight other boys. I was a tenderfoot. Two or three of them were first-class scouts trying to go to Eagle, but we had us a project, and we joined up with Lester. So for the next six weeks, every weekend, we would meet Lester at the schoolyard, and we'd go around the community and get poles and lumber, most of it out of Lester's woodpile. He was a carpenter by trade, and we begin to build a magnificent playground for the kindergarten. About the second week in November, my grandmama picked me up and said, we're going to go give Lester the money. We've raised $442 with the cake sale and donations from the community to banks, and we'll carry the money to Lester. So we went off to Lester's, and she got him in his shop and said, Lester, I got the money for you to give you to help fund the project at the playground. Lester looked her in the eyes and said, Miss Perry, don't rob me of my gifts, of my tithe, 
This is my gift to the church, my tithe to this community. You take the money and give it to the pastor to use otherwise in the church. If I took that, it would be a quid pro quo. Please do not rob me of my gift. Now, my grandmama, being a man, of, being a woman of many words and uh, a bit pushy, looked him in the eyes and said, Lester, you're a fine man, and I understand. And she turned and walked away. Well, when we got in the car, I said, Grandma, what? How come you didn't insist I'd take the money? And what's this quid pro quo? I never heard something. Is that a foreign language? <laughs> I got away. And she said, she said, no, son, that's Latin. It means I'll do for you if you'll do for me or vice versa or tit for tat. So I knew then what the words meant, and I knew what Lester meant. So there we were. So the first Sunday in December, Danny came, and the church was a buzz. It was a wonderful day. It was homecoming, dinner on the ground. So we had the ribbon cut to the new playground. Everybody was excited. It had four high-flying swings, four board boards where you could seesaw back and forth. It had two pillars, two platforms eight feet high. You could actually see the post office two blocks away, the top of it. It was a wonderful place and a wonderful thing for a kid's imagination. On top of that fort, it could be a fort. It could be a ship. It could be an airplane. It could be anything the kid so wanted it to be. Well, wait a minute, Ed. Let me ask you a question. What does homecoming mean? Because we don't have a lot of that up here in North Georgia. What does homecoming and dinner on the ground mean? Homecoming and dinner on the ground in the 50s and 60s in South Georgia, as well as all over in any of the rural parts of Georgia, that was the time. That was a social gathering. That was a place, a focus on the church when all the community would come together and each of the wives and the grandmamas would bring their best uh, fried chicken or turnip greens and deviled eggs to and have dinner on the ground. And then all the people would socialize about the events of the day and the events in the community and talk about who was getting married, when they were going to get married, and so on and so forth. It was a great day of celebration and food. And on this particular day, they were all marveling at the great work of Lester's Playground. And they lined the people up to give uh, thanks. So when they cut the ribbon, listen to this, Danny, this is what happened. They cut the ribbon and they talked about the woman's auxiliary, Ms. Barno, and made a great effort to get the playground equipment. They thanked my grandmama for raising the money, $442 from the cake sale and the Boy Scout troop. We were all decked out and standing out of attention saluting, and we were all giving credit for the for the success of such a thing. But later on the day, I began to think, you know, I really, really don't remember, didn't remember anybody talking about Lester, giving him credit. So I guess they did, surely they did, but it'd be like watching a wonderful movie at the end. Nobody sits at the end of the movie and watches the credits roll by. They just want to go and talk about how good the movie. 
But anyway, as I left, I looked back and I saw Lester. Danny, I saw Lester sitting there on a bench watching the kids play on that playground. He was smiling, had the biggest smile across his face, which was very rare. And he actually glowed. It, it, he just, he was a glow. I told my grandma, I said, Grandma, I'm going to go over there and thank him. I don't know if they thanked him or not, but I want to thank him. And she took my hand and said, no, son, let him be. He's getting all the thanks he wants. He knows what he did, and you're witnessing a great gift from a great heart. And I've often thought about that, Danny. Lester, he, he did that. That's the one thing in the community that he meant to do, and he did it absolutely perfection, with perfection. And he taught the Boy Scouts how to work together. There's so many people that benefited from that, what he did. Well, it sounds a bit like an analogy. Uh, I know another man that was a carpenter and another man that tried to influence the, uh, the people around me around him, the community, and uh, his name was Jesus. Uh, it sounds like he had a little bit of that in him. He did. Indeed he did. And and the, the woman's auxiliary was blessed. They got what they wanted. The Boy Scouts was blessed. The Boy Scouts that earned the merit badges was blessed. My grandmama was blessed in that she saw and she got a lesson. But you know what, Danny? Let me tell you, I was blessed. I'm still blessed. Every day I think of that. Every day I think of what it is to give a true gift. Remember, he told my grandmama, do not rob me of this gift. I do not take anything for this gift. It is a gift. It is a tithe. And if us in America, the people of Georgia, the people of all around, if we can bring ourselves to think in those terms and do something for the good of others without expecting anything in return. Quid pro quo. That is not the way to do it. It's to do it from the heart. And this country was built on that, and this country will continue to be strong as long as we can go by those, those sound principles. We must cling to those sound principles principles we've got to embrace change no question about it but we have got to cling to the principles as lester did in those days well what a wonderful story and and it certainly still applies every day you know i believe and you believe that we were all put here for a primary purpose of helping others and lester didn't need the money as you say he glowed over there because he could tell that his Efforts were going to be a legacy to him. Many, many children are going to climb on that uh, playground and just not think of him because they didn't know who did it, but they're going to think of the opportunity to have more life by enjoying yeah. that playground. Absolutely. And here's another point that, that I, about Lester. You know, he, he, was, he, he went away to the war, World War II. If you'll recall, this whole memory was developed around 1958 but uh that was like 12 years after world war ii ended 
But in that community, like Lester and a lot of other young men, they went away to the, to the great World War II, and when they came back, the ones that did, many of them never came back, came back scarred and, and uh, were not the same ever again. And Lester fell in that category. He was a recluse. He was more like the church janitor. He was part of the church. He grew up with the church, but not anybody that taught the Sunday school. But that was his one time that he could tithe. He could do what he could do. And then I remember back about the Marine Emerald that, uh, Emerald that he wore on his uh, bolo tie. Uh, that was the only time that you would really associate him with uh, the war or with the military. But he spent three years in the Pacific, and he landed in all of the major battles over there, and there's no telling what horror that he saw in war and the damage that that did to his body. But he never talked about it, and that was a sacrifice. He sacrificed for this country, and then he tithed to his church out of the goodness of the heart and expected nothing in return. And if we could get that coming back, if we could get that sense of feel once again, man, what a great America we would have. What a great America we would have. Well, you're talking about doing for others, which is a big deal, and then I— I remember when I was growing up and my grandmother told me, don't ever ask your dad about the war. I didn't understand that. I thought he'd be proud of what he did, and he came back whole. And But they didn't come back whole. They came back with memories, and they're trying to evade themselves of those memories, you might say. But uh, Lester's the same way. They didn't want to talk about it. They wanted to live life when they came back in a way that they could do for others. And uh, right. he's a great example of that. Tell me something. Which church is this you're talking about? It's the United Methodist Church in Nashville, Georgia. I grew up in that church, was baptized there, and it was a lot like the New Lois Methodist Church. That was a sister church we had out in New Lois community, and that, uh, that's where Amanda, that's, that's when you got married, you, you were very familiar with that church. But those churches, they held the community together. The New Laws Methodist Church held the New Laws community. That was the heartbeat of that community. And then the United Methodist Church was the heartbeat of our church in Nashville. And, of course, we had the Baptist Church, too. And uh, we all got along, of course. And, uh, but it was a great time to be an American. It was a great time to associate, to believe in the church, to believe in good values. And uh, I'm so worried at this time, Danny, that, we're losing that. And if we ever lose it, then I think that bad things will come our way. Well, you're exactly right. Uh, we need to live a life and live it abundantly. We need to live a life of hope. Uh, and I think Lester gives me hope that uh, I may not have very much, but I can give all I have. And that was a tithe for him. Uh, but I don't understand what a bolo tie is, by the way. <laughs> well, if... Uh, uh, if you watch Yellowstone, it's a Western tie. It's what, it's what the Cowboys, a cowboy type tie. tie. It, it's, a, it's a piece of leather that you put around, and then you have a, 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 a slip, a slide that you tighten it up around your neck. It's, it, and when you go past, and when you go to Colorado, Texas, Montana, that's what, that's the tie of a cowboy. So a bolo, it's called a bolo tie. Uh -huh. I wear one occasionally, Danny. 
Well, that's a mark of distinction, right? Because you don't see them very much in Georgia. No, no, you don't see them very much in Georgia. And that was what was unique. See, that's another point. Lester, he grew up in South Georgia, just like I did. He grew up during the Depression, though. Let me make a point with my grandmama. My grandmama, they were all lived through the Depression, which were terrible times, terrible times. Uh, They lived through the, the... the Spanish flu years after the great world war one, they, they lived through all that. They've lived through hard times, uh, that were much harder than the times we're living through now. But Lester going around, uh, leaving South Georgia, his friends were from the West. He developed a group in his squad. A lot of his Marine Corps people, he went to, uh, San Diego to California to train. And so, he developed some of the ways and his friends, and so they introduced him to the bolo tie. So the one thing he did when he got out of the Marine Corps and came back, he took his hat, Emerald, the, the, the Marine Corps badge that an officer would wear. I think it was like a second first lieutenant, a platoon leader anyway, and he had that made into a medallion. And the way he could wear that medallion was he would pull it on the drawstring of his bolo tie. And that's why he wore it. And he always wore it. So, and I didn't know that. I finally put it together years later. And the reason he was involved with the Boy Scouts is because he, he was a man of few words, but he would teach us different things that was involved with uh, scouting, knot tying, and also he would give us a, uh, various part pieces of equipment like jungle hammocks to sleep in and so forth. But the man was grateful, and he was given for his country. Well, what a mentor. My goodness, what a mentor he was. And uh, he is still a legacy for a lot of people that knew him, no question about it. Even when that equipment goes by the wayside, he'll still be a legacy to people like Ed Perry. And let me well, ask about Ed Perry for a minute. That's a wonderful story. It's a hope story. It shows you that anybody can be a giver. And if you're a giver, you can be part of the spirit of hope uh, in America, every bit today as it was back then. But you have uh, developed a winery, and i got to know why you did that. Well, it goes back to agriculture. And, uh, you know, you'd mentioned about me getting in politics again. And the reason I'm doing it, is really to look after the farm and agricultural way of life. We're the breadbasket down here in South Georgia. We're, we're like the Joaquin Valley of California. We're, we're, we're that of Georgia. But in the, in the breadbasket, uh, uh, my family came up with a depression, the timber. They cut the timber for cross ties at the very beginning, so then they turned the, the timberland into cotton fields. And then during the Depression, the bow weevil got the cotton, and then they went to the biker farming. So that was some cash crop for agriculture in this area. And then the government came and got the tobacco because it was unhealthy uh, for that. So then we went into the cattle business, of which many of us still do. But at one point, I had to determine, when I went to the legislature back in your day and, and before, then I couldn't run a cattle operation and be in Atlanta uh, three months out of the year. So I planted another crop, and it was grapes. We got in the grape business. And I did that primarily to sell 
fresh fruit to the supermarkets, muscadine grapes, which is a native grape all over the state of Georgia. And I got into that. But I noticed at the end of the year, at the end of the growing season, I'd have a lot of tons of grapes that would be unfit to go to the grocery store. They'd be overripe. And you got to have a perfect grape to sell to the housewife. So wineries begin to buy them, uh, mainly Chateau Elan, the one uh, up near you, and I'd carry the grapes there. Well, it made superb wine, very good wine. And then I decided, well, maybe I ought to start making wine, and that's where that's what got us into the wine business, and we've been in it ever since. And we're primarily, we're a muscadine wine uh, operation, but we still sell our fruit to the fresh market. Well, and it's all inched around agriculture and value-added, value-added. Well, we need some value-added people in politics, and I think you'll certainly be that when you get elected. We're not asking how or why, but when you get elected. And we're certainly behind you. You're a very close friend of uh, Mandy, my wife's family, the the Aikens and the Perrys, uh, a lot of Aikens and Perrys down there in Nashville, Georgia. Uh, And I'm sure that your wine is being sold all over the country. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it is. We've been blessed blessed with that operation and we've made a good name for ourselves we we've made a lot of friends in north georgia and we traded a lot with the wineries all over the state of georgia chateau elon around helen around cleveland around Dahlonega. uh it, it's a good relationship that we have with these farm wineries but listen dennis when when you say farm winery these are georgia grown farm wineries what they're producing is a product that's grown in Georgia, produced in Georgia, sold in Georgia, and it is promoting Georgia. And that is a, in itself is, is a wonderful thing to be a part of. Well, for somebody that's never been in the wine business before, to take it to where you've taken it to the next level and to be a, a politician at the same time, really a statesman, I admire what you've been able to do. I, I think that uh, it's time for somebody like an Ed Perry to get up there in Atlanta and get some things done, uh, some value-added things, you might say. That's right. We we got quality people, and that's a good way of putting it, Danny. I, I've just never really thought about it like that. We got good quality people, but we can't just think good quality thoughts. We have got to do. We cannot email. We cannot get in this electronic uh, world and expect things to get done. You have still got to go out and and do the work, persuade people, ne- negotiate both sides. And, you know, it's easy to do, Danny. It's easy to do. You can start by getting the common ground, the common ground. So everybody's got their differences, but everybody's got common ground. So if you can get the common ground and then negotiate and work, and take care and both have the interests of each other at heart to perfect what you're trying to do, then the system will work. But if everybody is just hating each other, uh, there's a book out, a uh, high anxiety, a uh, uh, high hate. You can't survive with just hate. You have got to negotiate and you got it, but that does not mean you have got to concede 
your principles at all. And I think that's what uh, the lesson was with Lester. He he knew what he wanted to do. He knew what he wanted to give. He had a tithe, and that was it. And he stayed focused. And in the end, in the end, all the people, all the people benefited from that effort without him having to have any kind of accolades about it. Well, that is a wonderful story. I truly believe it is a hope story, not only for Lester, but for all those that came up after him and played on that playground. Uh, they hoped that their future would be wonderful, would be revealing for what they needed to do in life, uh, be positive. And I think you with the positive attitude is what makes things happen. A negative attitude never did anything for anybody, in my opinion. But a positive attitude is what's going to be very valuable to you when you get up there in Atlanta. And uh, you've always had that. I mean, anybody can start a winery like you did from scratch is pretty strong. Ed, I appreciate you being with us today. Well, thank you so much, Danny, and hope to see you next time. This has been great. I've enjoyed talking with somebody that's not only a good friend, but somebody that aims to do something with his life. Uh, Ed Perry provides hope to those who listen to him. Subscribe to our social media and share your stories on the HopeWithDanny.com website. Remember, it's all about hope. I'm your host, Danny Daniel. This episode was recorded at Vega Studios.